Canuck Central Mailbag Friday. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw with you. Yes, a Mailbag Friday. We'll be getting to that in hour two of the program. Yannick Hansen will join us a little bit later as well. And we'll uh, dive into what Pittsburgh is up to. Mike DeFabo joining us after 5 o'clock sat uh, another day goes by and uh, the Canucks are getting into the weeds here the off season but JT Miller discussions won't end no they won't and uh, you know Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have been making the rounds uh, the past little while and the message seems consistent they want to hold on to JT Miller if possible <laughs> but if they can't they'll trade him by the deadline that mm-hmm. seems to be the new uh, company line that they're towing very well I'd say I, uh, I, I feel like I've heard this before Hmm. We may have heard it once or twice. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, Jim Rutherford was on Donnie and Dolly earlier today. A uh, really interesting uh, exchange there with uh, the Canucks president. But uh, again, saying a lot of the same things that he said mm-hmm. for a long time, that they yeah. like JT Miller, they'd like to keep JT Miller. They're going to try and explore that. If they can't, they're going to have to move the player. That's what they've said. We just have made up timelines, and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else. I have made up timelines of when they need to do that or should be doing that, but ultimately the club is working differently than what we've talked about and what I've talked about, and that's fair because ultimately they're Ultimate deadline is next year's trade deadline, but it does affect a lot of the work that they can or maybe need to do to really upgrade this roster around the rest of the core. Well, it really does. And, you know, for all the talk about, you know, JT Miller, trade him or what do you do? But, like, if you actually do hold on to JT, when we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, kind of foreshadowing the discussion to come today, that... Even if you say sign JT and sign Bo, and let's be conservative about it, that it turns out to be 14 million combined. It's probably going to be more, but let's just say 14 million. Well, that leaves you with six point, um, well, about 8.6 million in cap space to sign the rest of your guys. And that includes Hoaglander, who's going to be a free agent, includes Luke Shen, who's going to be a free agent, and it includes Kuzmenko, who's going to be a free agent. Well, if all three of those guys play well, let's just say you bring back Hoaglander and Kuzmenko, well, that's going to eat up most of that cap space. Right, if both of those guys hit and play well. So how are you improving the team beyond whatever else you have? And I think it always comes back to the same thing. What salary do you actually move out to make it work long term if you do find a way to hold on to JT Miller long term? Well, it and and this is why JT has come into the crosshairs. You know, there's mm-hmm. really been a long um wonder of does he want to be in Vancouver long term? I think everybody's been asking that question, even though JT has always said he likes the city, likes playing here. So there's that. There is the understanding he is going to cost quite a bit because he is, over the last three seasons, the 12th best scoring player in the National Hockey League. So, yes, he's he's going to cost quite a bit of money. And for a team that does not have many trade assets that has a lot of salary already committed who would be 
the easiest to move and to also build up some future assets for the organization moving forward. That would be J.T. Miller, especially if you avoid uh, moving on from Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, and even Bo Horvat. So by default, it's almost like J.T. Miller ticks all of these boxes, and that's how we've ended up talking about him so much, Sad. Well, he's the easiest... The easiest solution long-term is not have a risky long-term contract or guy in his 30s is to get the futures that you would get in a JT Miller trade and, you know, getting the cap flexibility you're looking for to improve the defense. That's why the easiest thing to suggest and do is to trade JT. But if you're actually keeping JT, the question always comes back to the same thing. Where do you find the assets to improve your defense? And how do you find some extra futures that could be draft picks or prospects that can help supplement this roster in a couple of years. We need those cheap players. Like, where are those guys coming outside of, of the draft picks you've made in the undrafted free agents or unsigned free agents that you have added to the fold so far with this new regime? So how do you make those other additions? Now, I think there is a world where if you are a little bit patient on the back end, and this is where... You know, it's going to test the patience of the market, I think, the media in many ways, but also just the organization, how they go about things. Because if you get through this upcoming season and you find a way to shift out a little bit of money on that back end, that's where things start opening up for you. If you hold on to JT, it's going to be hard for you to find those future assets in a trade because the guys you're looking to move, whether it's Myers or Pearson or whatever, they're going to bring you back a big haul. It's more about moving the money out at some point. So if if that's going to be the case, next season, you get into the offseason, Tyler Myers, once his $5 million bonus gets paid, it becomes a lot easier to move him. Does the organization, does the market have the stomach to wait it out one more year before they can really address the back end? I, I don't know if I do, personally. Um, I, I get wanting to keep JT sad. I get... Um, you know, seeing the player, seeing what he's able to provide and liking how it fits into a competitive future for the Vancouver Canucks. At the same time, we've seen a lot of years with JT, Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, those guys, that core group of forwards leading this team forward. And it just, it hasn't been good enough. Now, could players like Mikheyev and Kuzmenko and Podkolzin improving year over year, could that change the outcomes enough of this roster? Was the top of the roster never really the problem? It was what was around those players? I guess that is somewhat fair to, to wonder, but at the same time, this just doesn't feel like a mix you can ultimately win with. And the difficulty of seeing where this goes is no matter what, if you sign JT Miller to an extension, it becomes more difficult to maneuver the pieces around this core to improve the roster. No no matter what. Like that that is ultimately the tougher road to navigate than trading JT and using those assets and reallocating some of that open cap space to your back end. Ultimately, that is an easier road to go down. It is. It just takes time to get there, 
And for you to be able to get the flexibility that you want to make the changes you need, it's almost a year away. And I think part of the frustration, or at least part of the the stuff they weren't able to do was that. You know, and Rutherford talked about it, Alvin talked about it, they had hoped they would be able to clear more out at this point, but they weren't, they haven't been able to. And now you're starting to get to the point where, okay, you're still testing the phones, you're still you're looking to see what you can do and see if you can make some deals. But the chances are, what you're looking to do to clear the money you want isn't going to happen for you right now. So do you wait it out one more year? Because if you are able to get that $6 million off the books, and then you can keep on, you know, you can bring back Kuzmenko and even Hoaglander or whatever, then you'll have about 8 to $9 million to really address your defense. But it's going to take up to a year for that to happen. So that's going to be the biggest thing that I kind of wonder about here. Can you wait that long to make the changes you need? Because once you sign JT next year, and once you sign Bo, there just isn't any money to go around unless you find a way to move some stuff out. But the interesting part about this is you are a year to six to 12 to 14 months or so, 15 months away from perhaps having way more flexibility than you would imagine you would have. Could you move out even Pearson at that point? And if you're able to do those sort of things, all of a sudden, well, maybe there is a way to fit everybody in. Pearson and Myers ultimately are the ones that can create some cap flexibility for this team. I, look, I, I think they're useful players. I, I think we all understand that they're useful players. But look at how hard it's been to trade money around the league. I mean, Max Pacioretty gets moved. They had to attach a 24-year-old young defenseman, right-shot defenseman, to Max Pacioretty, who's an elite goal scorer in the league and is an expiring contract, to move the player. That's how difficult it is right now to move money in the National Hockey League. And that's why... A guy like Pearson right now going to continue to be very hard to move. Same goes for Tyler Myers. So the way I'm reading it, Sat, maybe if, okay, maybe there is not the changes we would have expected and they're going to continue to try and explore a way to keep JT Miller, does it necessarily mean that they are committed to this roster that they've convinced themselves, hey, we can ultimately win a Stanley Cup with, the nuts and bolts of the current team that we've taken over. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if they view it that way. I mean, because even Rutherford, when asked him, whether we asked him and others asked him, he still says the timeline is still still a couple of years away. Like, we're still a couple of years away from where we need to be. So when you talk about you don't think you can really compete for a couple of years from now, even if you think this team can make the playoffs, what does that answer tell you? We're not there yet, right? It tells you that you still have work to do to get there. So I don't think there's any, any, any belief or any real sense that this team is ready to take that next step. They think they can make the playoffs. They think they can make a little bit of noise. They think they can compete. But in order to take that next step, they realize they need significant cap flexibility and you have to reshape the defense. And you know what? We got a lot of great questions in the mailbag and that's coming up a bit later. And, and we'll talk about some of the questions about the defense and how they played because we had a good discussion yesterday about goals against the Canucks were top 10 in the league. Now, 7th in yeah. the league in goals against. And they did a good job in limiting goals against, but the, the problem was the quality that they would give up at times. So the question is, is the defense that bad, or can they also improve it structurally? That's something that the organization talked so much about, right? Uh, Rutherford about having better structure, defending better because of it, and they you know they kind of put the heat on Boudreaux to improve that aspect. And then bring in, you know, uh, Yo to be, Mike Yo to be the coach who's going to bring those elements in. And you start looking at, okay, they are going to start approaching how they defend as a team better, but 
But ultimately, there is a clear understanding here for this team. In order for this team to really knock on the door to be a Stanley Cup contender, the defense has to improve. We can sit here and say it's not that bad. It's better than you think it is. And, and it's not maybe the, the sore spot that it's made out to be. That may all be true, Dan. But the question is, is it really a championship caliber defense you can truly win with? And it's not. No. And that's what they're, we're going to be working towards, right? And I think that's where, where the conversation gets lost sometimes because people make it out to be so much worse than it is or better than it is. And the truth is always, I wouldn't say it's in the middle, but I'd say in this situation, the Canucks defense is probably not as bad as people make it out to be. But I don't think anybody should take that and consider it to be championship-level caliber or contender caliber in the truest sense of the word. Defensively, last year as a team... Uh, if you go by uh, natural statric, which uh, shouldn't be gospel, but uh, they were pretty much middle of the pack when it came to expected goals and how they they managed that. Even after you know Boudreaux took over, and you know if you think if you kind of look at just after the the trade deadline when Travis Dermott came in, uh, even then they were pretty much middle of the pack uh, when it came to uh, scoring chance created versus scoring chances against. So not terrible but where are you going when you are just very much in the middle of the league and overall I'd say yes their defense is still bottom third of the National Hockey League the way they play is very um it's not great you know they can give up major high danger scoring chances we we talk about cross lot passes with Kevin Woodley all the time they are one of the worst teams in the league at giving up those types of chances in their own end. That has to be something that changes. And the personnel isn't necessarily going to change, Sat. So mm-hmm. this is the thing about not changing the defense right now and not opening up flexibility to maybe do it down the road when opportunities become available. But you're right now hoping that Quinn Hughes continues to get better year over year. And also Jack Rathbone, who's maybe penciled in for a spot on the roster right now, that he can have an impact. And also the acquisition you made at the last deadline. Can Jack Rathbone and Travis Dermott be a solid third pair? Hopefully OEL and Myers maintain the fact that they were a decent shutdown pair last year. And then Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen go out and do their thing much like they did last year. That's that's kind of a best-case scenario for how the Canucks defense lines up next season. I have two big questions that I think there might be some level of optimism you can solve. The first one being, and it's not to say the team's going to be perfect, but just about can you get more out of OEL? And even if you don't, say, get him the partner you think he may need, is there a way you can get more out of him? More out of him in what can, sense? Production. Simply as that. Simple yeah. as that for me. Because I don't, I don't see that he has a problem defensively. He's not a stud as far as you know a two-way ace in that regard. But he's more than fine defending. He did a really good job in that shutdown role alongside of Myers last season. But he's at his best when he's generating offense, and he's capable of doing so. You saw it towards the end of the season, he took that step. I want to see him get to that close to forty-point range. If you can get that out of OEL next season. If he can just anchor one D pair and provide some offense and move the puck and, and really be a guy that engages and Hughes does his own thing, 
you can survive with that because you can see Hughes and Shen. They're going to be able to survive. You know that Shen can at least hold his own. The third pair, if you have Dermot there playing with Pullman or Rathbone and Ra- Dermot or whatever, they're going to be able to hold their own. So the question just becomes, can you get enough of a push that your top top pair with Quinn Hughes wins his matchup and you kind of push with your second pair? If you're able to do that, then you are going to be able to piece it together with a good forward group. And if you can even play OEL on the right side or play one of those other guys on his offside, that's going to create some opportunities. And one guy I wouldn't be afraid of trying on his offside is Quinn Hughes. If there was one player who wouldn't have problem with his skating, his edge work, and just how he's really worked on his positioning and how he's able to get leverage, I wouldn't be afraid of trying him on his, on his offside either. Those are the two things I'd really want to explore if you're not able to find other ways to improve the defense. Uh, and of course, you know, other players that could factor in uh, towards the bottom of the, the, the defense, Kyle Burroughs, Tucker Pullman, which we're unsure what his status is going through the summer and into training camp, but we'll get more updates on that. And uh, maybe Brady Keeper, who people were uh, exci- excited about last offseason before the big injury, uh, can play a factor as well. But, you know, these are hopes and prayers, and you're kind of just hoping that those guys can perform at a level uh, in depth roles, it's still about the upper half, the higher part of the lineup when it comes to the defense. And so much of this hinges everything about the Canucks. And it was the same last year, Sat. You know, does hinge on the top players on the roster. Two of the three held up their end of the bargain last year. You know, Demko yeah. was incredible, held Vesna trophy like, uh, at least Vesna candidate level play for pretty much the entire season until it really came down to the wire and he was playing Hurts. Quinn Hughes was among the best defensemen in the league. The Norris Trophy votes back that up. It was Elias Pettersson. You know, they had two of their three stars performing at the peak of their abilities. They need Pettersson. If they can get all three of those guys, you know, that's going to be a more consistent Canucks team, just like we saw towards the end of the year when Pettersson started going. And that does allow, it makes things easier around the roster, whether on the, 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 the forward group or at the back. It, it makes everything easier for this team. And I don't think there should be too much doubt about Hughes. And I don't even think there should be too much doubt that Pedersen will be able to carry the momentum he had of late last season. But how much can these other small additions that they've made in the forward group add? And also, can they play a more cohesive game with guys like Kuzmenko and Mikheyev adding on to this roster, take less, take more pressure off of the current defensive group that they've got now that they've got a more complete forward group, a more a deeper forward group than they've ever had. Well, and one of the things, like, we can sit here and talk about the Mikheyev signing and debate whether it was the right guy to go after and whether he's overpaid or not. But one thing he absolutely brings, Dan, is something this team has missed in a massive way. And I'm not even talking about the speed, which clearly this organization has been desperate for up front. But it's the two-way intelligence. How much two-way intelligence? How many two intelligent two-way players, forwards, does this team have? Really, like Miller can be good defensively, but it's been a couple of years since he was really that impactful defensive presence. Bo Horvat's gotten better defensively, but let's not pretend like he's a real two-way ace center. He's not, right? He's not like a you know Selkie candidate, as some have made him out to be. 
No, and Garland, I mean, smart player and all that sort of stuff. And I, I think he doesn't get enough credit for, for how smart he is positionally, defensively. He doesn't get lost often. I think those are positives. And he's good at digging pucks out and, and helping them transition out of their own zone. But as far as a guy that's going to make a difference as a two-way force, that's not who he is. The guy who projects the best, as you mentioned, Pedersen, and put Coles in. And put Coles is not ready for that yet. What Mikheyev does offer is real transition defense, a forward that can help defend, too, and can really help. Can I mean, one of the things that this team has also had a real big problem with is how often do you see forwards not have their stick in the right lane? How yeah. often do you see that, especially yep. in their own end? Mikheyev's not going to make those types of mistakes. It's only one guy, but he really does add a dimension this team has really been lacking. Yeah, you need better defenders, but they don't have enough forwards that can really help that five-man unit game, and I think he can really assist them in that in the top six, and I think that's where they see the real value in his game. Yeah, he can score a little bit, you know, he's bringing speed and all that sort of stuff, but if he can actually play in the top six and make that big of a difference, it's a two-way force, that's really what this organization needs. Yeah, the the what Mikheyev can do is I think he can you know, allow the the top guys to be at their best. I, I really think that's ultimately what they're looking for out of Mikheyev to do some of the dirty work. Um, you know, he did not play as much as people want to make it about, hey, Mikheyev scored 20 goals last year and, and all this other stuff about him. You know, he didn't, he didn't always play in a top six role. He played mostly with Pierre Engvall and David Kampf in a very much a checking role. So is there more for him to offer uh, when he's playing with higher-up-the-lineup guys. That's one thing we'll have to find out about the Canucks. We're going to dive more into uh, some other things, and where does Nils Hoaglander fit on this roster? That's also coming up, but let's get to our next guest. He joins us weekly here on Canucks Central. It is Matt Lee of BCLC. Thanks for this, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Uh, We're awesome, man. You know, just kind of looking at the Canucks season and – Wondering what the uh, next shoe to drop is, but we didn't expect them to, to go out and make more additions, but here they are. And now, I guess we have to think about them and, and where they trend going into next year. A very early futures look at what uh, the Canucks might be. Yeah, there's one that we're really excited to get up on playnow.com uh, later next week. Uh, like you guys have sort of mentioned uh, leading into this segment, Ilya Mikheyev joining the roster uh, already and uh, joining his countryman, Vasily Podkolzin and Andre Kuzmenko. So one of the bets that we're looking to have up on playnow.com is which of these three players are going to score the most goals for Vancouver next season. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because these guys are all sort of middle six wingers who could sort of have that opportunity to put up anywhere from 15 to 20 goals. But before we talk about what the odds could look like, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are and who has the early edge among those three. Man, so the easy answer would be to be like, yeah, Kuzmenko or Mikheyev, these are the big additions. How can I sneaky think it's put Coles in? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the quote-unquote the juice, as we have always talked about over the last few yeah. months, might be on we love the juice yeah, absolutely <laughs> we squeeze we the it. juice is uh encino I, man I, reference there <laughs> yes and i i think vasily pod colson could sort of be in between kuzmenko and mikhev at this point um you know we we know that the ceiling is a little high on mikhev but the floor is also kind of low on mikhev too is judging by what he's done over the last couple of years before last season um but vasily pod colson if you're thinking that there's maybe a little bit of a sophomore bump coming his way there's certainly some juice that could be on Vasily Podkolzin once this gets up on playnow.com. 
Yeah, Pods, uh, I mean, he showed how good his shot can be. So if he gets himself into some prime opportunities, the wild card is Kuzmenko. I mean, we all think he's he's going to be a bit of an offensive player, and he should be, but I think he's a better playmaker than he is a shooter. So I think uh, my money would be on Pods as well in that uh, in that conversation. Uh, how about the uh, Stanley Cup futures? Are we still looking at Colorado being the uh, the heavy favorite? Yeah, you know, the Colorado Avalanche really didn't do anything during free agency to dissuade us from them not being the top contender on the leaderboard, and that's why they're still at plus 400. You know, they really only lost Andre Burakovsky and Darcy Kemper in free agency, and I know what you guys might think. Both did play significant roles in their cup win, but I don't think anyone here is sort of saying they're tremendous losses either. Plus, the door hasn't quite closed on Nazem Kadri to return, it seems. Uh, you know, Colorado also won the Cup without some key pieces in their lineup, like Samuel Gerrard, for instance. They're still a very, very good team, and you look across the league, everybody's sort of trying to get a little bit better, desperate, making a lot of moves in free agency. But Colorado still is such a very deep club, and it's very hard to bet against them at this point. So, and when you look at the cup, cup odds for all the teams, like what range does Vancouver rank amongst the 32 teams in the NHL? Yeah, Vancouver didn't really do anything during free agency to actually move the needle on the betting leaderboard here. They were at plus 4,500 going into free agency, and that's sort of, sort of where they still are. Kind of in the middle of the pack, I think everyone's sort of thinking this is still the same roster that they ended the season with, for the most part, with some marginal upgrades with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko now on board. But really, they haven't done anything to sort of leapfrog into that upper echelon of teams. They're still right in the middle of the pack. Uh, Matt, uh, I know uh, we're, we're talking hockey mostly, but I am watching a lot of British Open this weekend. Yeah. Uh, what, 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 what am I looking at with Rory McIlroy potentially making a push over Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, Rory McIlroy, three shots back. DJ's in the mix, too. Cam Smith, currently the clubhouse leader. Uh, you know, Cam Smith really uh, coming on here in the second round right now. And, of course, he is the betting favorite at this point. But, however, like you guys sort of mentioned, too, don't dismiss Rory McIlroy because it only takes one good round for him to get right back into the thick of things. His odds are at 4.6 right now. Cameron Young staying strong, though. He's at 9.0 as well. Let's mention that one. Well, I mean, the big news, though, is Tiger Woods missing the cut, and he made the uh, the somber walk up to 18, and you could see he's all teary-eyed about, you know, maybe that being the last time he's at that course. And is it maybe the you know the first real sign that you know betters are not going to have too many more opportunities to, to wager on Tiger Woods in these types of events? Will they? Yeah, absolutely. And Tiger Woods went into the tournament at seventy six point zero on uh, to win the Open right now, and you got to wonder maybe that was the last time we're ever going to really get to bet on him at the Open. So mm-hmm. you never know. I mean, Tiger Woods historically has always commanded so much betting activity on com in any major tournament. And it's really been awesome to watch because of the fact that I think everyone is also kind of just rooting for Tiger Woods to get back to that same dominant form. But, you know, when he misses the cut today like he did, such a disappointing second round, it's really hard to say how many more tournaments does Tiger Woods have left in the tank. Matt, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Uh, there is uh, Matt Lee of BCLC. I'm not going to lie, Sad. I may have been crying too watching Tiger this morning. Yeah, some sad times, man. Like it's, it's you know, I think more than anything, the fact that he came back after his car accident and yep. you know even was able to play a little bit and you know be in the mix a bit. I think that was probably 
the hurdle he had to come overcome. And now it's just becoming, yeah, you might be able to play a little bit, but it's just not going to be much longer, man. Like, I think we're finally at the stage here, Dan, where... Yeah, Tiger looks like he's pretty much done. Like, this might be the last year. And then he's going to probably be on the scene. Like, he'll probably do what Nicholas has done, right? And they'll show up to some of them, you know, yeah. play a little bit here and there. But, you know, for all, all intents and purposes, I think we're starting to see, you know, the, he's, he's walking up to 18 in his career, it really seems oh, like right now. Please, please no, okay? I'm, I'm still holding <laughs> out hope uh, that we get more competitive rounds out of, uh, out of Tiger Woods. Uh, all right, coming up, Yannick Hansen will be joining us. His take on how the Canucks are shaping up what he thinks of the Yulia Mikheyev signing as well. That's next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central, a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca. Today, Yannick Hansen is uh, coming up shortly here on Canuck Central. He is brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser River to serve you. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah with you on Canuck Central. It's uh, another day where we continuously talk about what the Canucks are up to next, Sat. It's... uh, it's interesting. There's a few teams around the league that are kind of in the same spot, right? Like Pittsburgh has a glut of defensemen. Uh, Toronto just signed Callie Yarncroke today, and they've got a, a bunch of extra defensemen and, and uh, pretty much uh, over the cap. They still have Rasmus Sandin and Pierre Engvall to sign. It seems like there's a few teams that still have to get some work done via trade in order to be cap compliant. Yeah, oh yeah, and that was something Elliot Friedman talked about on the 32 Thoughts podcast, the final edition of the uh, 32 Thoughts podcast for the season. And one of the things he mentioned was there's a lot of activity right now because a lot of teams are looking to still make trades and move money around. So the free agent market is cooling off, but the trade talk, that's where things seem to be picking up, according to Friedman. That's uh, where the next uh, round of the off-season moves can be coming from. Let's bring in our next guest. He is uh, brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group. It is Yannick Hansen. Thanks for this, Yannick. How are you? Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's uh, summertime. Uh, I know uh, this will be our last hit uh, on Canuck Central with you for a little bit, but... Uh, we have to get your take. Ilya Mikheyev, the big move uh, the Canucks made this week. Is this the right kind of ad for this team right now? He's definitely the right type of player you'd like to have on your team uh, in the sense of versatility. Um, he'll be able to, I don't know if he's a top six forward. I know they labeled him as a middle six yesterday as well. Somebody who can, uh, in a pinch, or if, um, again, coming from the KHL, he was he was a top six forward. Obviously, it's a little bit different over here. So so he's played that style. So it, it's somebody that Bruce can use in a lot of different roles. Seen in Toronto, killing penalties. So, so again, it's, uh, it's a player of that stature that you need on your team who can fill a lot, a lot of holes, um, whatever it needed and are able to contribute in those roles as well. So not just, oh, if I get put here, I kind of disappear. No, he, he seems to be able to, to contribute no matter how, what you ask of him. So it, it's, in terms of player, great. Um, money, it, it's it's free agency. You're going to pay a little bit more than you like. Um, and that's that's just the name of the game this time of year. So uh, could you gotten him for a little bit less? Um, that would have been... Uh, uh, obviously a little bit better, but but in terms of the type of player you'd like to see coming in here, he he fills uh, he fills a lot of those uh, those th- those things you're looking for. 
Well, and one of the things we talked so much about, uh, Yannick, throughout the season was how many really intelligent two-way forwards do they have? We can talk about the defense has to improve, and obviously there are ways they can and should get better. The team's talked about it, but defensively, they don't have a ton of forwards that have what Mikheyev has, and adding somebody like that into the top six, how much can that help you know, an offensive line and also make this team a lot better defensively? Yeah, we always talk about the cheating in the games, and he will alleviate some of that uh, cheating from some other players who tend to do that. That um, Players that are mindful of that game, they're always, okay, now I shouldn't go where other players... I use the, the, the word cheating, it's, it's it's painting in an oblique picture, but again, looking looking for these goals and people that have players that have these instincts will will tend to gravitate towards those kind of areas. And again, you have somebody like Mikheyev that will that will fill that that void in behind, so it's not Otman rushes after Otman rushes when it aren't going in the right direction for these type of players. So again, it, it's great to have these things. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago as well. We have a lot of guys who can put the puck in the net. Not saying he can't. He he did pot twenty uh, some goals last year, um, but again, it, it was the other roles that needed filling more so than we needed to go out and sign a, a an elite score. So, you know. He's not going to be a big-time scorer. At least I don't really think that's that's in Ilya Mikheyev's future, even if he is playing mostly with some of the top six here in, in Vancouver. But do you have to get a level of a certain baseline of production if a player's getting close to $5 million per year? Or can it just be enough that he's helping the top players be at their best, putting up maybe 35, 40 points, and also playing really well at both ends. Is that enough when you're paying a player as much as Mikheyev's getting? I think he's in the same boat as Garland. We need him around the 50-point mark. Granted, he plays 82 games. He does that while he's penalties. So I'm expecting these points, much like Garland, to come penalty killing, short, even strength. And if you put up those type of numbers, even strength, then your $5 million is well paid because there's it, it's very hard to do um not a lot of the other guys will do that as well they'll get a ton of these points on the power play and then the five on five you, you'll get a lot less um so again can he find this uh this type of scoring even strength and and on shorthanders well i'm not saying we should go and score a bunch of shorthanded goals but but get the goals away from the power play it, it will benefit this team tremendously so if he can land in that in that range the 50 point range same as garland um great plus minus all these things that that uh, that you look for from a little bit deeper in the lineup he he will have uh, earned his money more so than than you'd think so we're looking at the forward group now, and hey, we don't know what else is going to happen, right, Yannick? We'll see if all these forwards come to camp and this is a team to head into the season with. But as it stands, they can go with Miller, Pedersen, Horvat, and Lazar down the middle. And Dickinson will most likely be on the fourth line. But what it means is one of Kuzmenko, put Coles in, Mikheyev, Hoaglander is going to play on the fourth line. What do you make of the forward group? And that's not a bad thing because you have depth, but do you like the group right now forward-wise and... What do you make of the competition for a top nine spot um, amongst these forwards right now? Yeah, it's definitely deeper than it's been in the past and last year. So, so it looks better already. And there are obviously still some some glaring holes. Like I mentioned this multiple times, the centers you said right now. I really hope they don't go in with those three as the top three. Again, the ice time. Uh, Larsar fits a hole perfectly. 
Um, whether or not he'll be your your key right-handed face-off guy, that that'll have to be seen. Uh, hopefully, he took some notes from from Bergeron um, last yeah. year playing in Boston with him. Um, but again, he will have to fill that 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 void right now. Uh, whether it's on the fourth line uh, and as a right-handed center, you're going to be trusted um, to take some key face-offs, uh, penalty killing, defensive uh, zone on that right side. So again, he's got a he's got a tough job to fill, but it was a, jo- a job that needed to be filled. Um, and again, he fits all those holes as well. He, he's bigger, he's physical, uh, does a ton of hitting. He's right-handed, he's a center. Um, he plays an energetic game. Um, again, all those those um, things we're looking for for the bottom six center, he fits. Will he turn out? We will wait and see. And if he does, the, the contract is obviously phenomenal because you got him for three years from, I believe, 27 till age 30, which uh, should be his, his prime years here. So it, it's a player that can grow with this group. Same with Mikheyev. Um, so, again, it, it's still not done. You guys mentioned the trading that kind of opens up right now. Uh, players that missed out on on whoever it might be, they were looking to, to, to fill that scoring void. Are they circling back to set players that have been in the rumor mill before? Um, so, so a lot of things can happen. Um, but, but right now, the, the forward group definitely looks better. Granted, everybody is healthy. Coming back a year older, Put Colson, hopefully he, he takes another step. Hopefully Herklander finds some of that stuff he, he had in his uh, rookie season as well. And all of a sudden, you, you're, you're starting to, to uh, say, oh, why is this guy even on the fourth line? He should be playing middle six or even pushing for, for top six spots. And that's, uh, that's nice to have because when you have that internal competition, it, it pushes everybody um, and, and it frees up certain guys to, okay, maybe maybe we ship this guy off to, to get a, a defenseman that we really need right now because we have all this uh, – these extra players who can who can fill these voids and we need a little bit here and there. So again, internal conversation is is never a bad thing, and I don't think we had enough of that uh, for quite a while here. Can the uh, upgrades in the forward group maybe mask uh, some of the deficiencies on on the back end? No, no, you still need to to fill some of those uh, some of those spots that we've been talking about. Um, I I don't think you can uh, you can't come back with the same six and hope for. For a different result, I think I, I do think you need to mix it up a little bit. Um, again, we we got a lot of puck movers there already. You have uh, Rathbone in the, in the in the in the wings as well. So so you have a lot of these puck moving defensemen that want the puck that can join the rush. Um, so so I'm not worried about that that type of um, offense from the back end. It's the other part that are lacking a little bit more. Um, so so I really hope that they find somebody. Hopefully somebody who can play with Quinn Hughes for the next seven years of his deal so we don't have to worry about, okay, is it going to be Luke Shen again? It worked out perfectly, <laughs> but in a perfect, it worked out good, but in a perfect world, I don't want Luke Shen playing 22 minutes a night next to Quinn Hughes. Obviously, he's not out there on the power play, so he won't get 22 minutes. But but again, insulate him, play in the bottom six where he's much better suited, and then find that player that can grow with Quinn and turn into a, a deep pairing like you've seen in, in Colorado right now where McCarr has uh, Devon Toes ne- right next to him and had for, for the last little bit. You see the damage those two can do. Not that, that, that Quinn is quite there yet, but but it's the same same thing. Like You need to find that player that will that will make him grow as well and turn him into to a complete player. Um, and again, it would be nice if, if they found a way to fill that, that role uh, sooner rather than later so it's not this revolving doors of the defenseman that gets a chance to, to play with him. 
Yeah, and that's going to be the big challenge. I mean, I mean, Rutherford and Alvin themselves have said they want to change the defense, but they may have to wait for that to happen. And, you know, I did want to circle back to Hoaglander for a second because we saw last season Bruce Boudreaux showed Hoaglander a lot of tough love. And then you start looking at the forward group right now and, you know, how we mentioned that if everybody is healthy, somebody's going to end up on that fourth line potentially. How big of a challenge is that going to be for him? And mentally, when you're a kid that gets challenged like that and you have an opportunity to come back next season, like, what would you want to see from Hoaglander? Like, what would you want to, want him to do this offseason and the type of mentality he'd need heading into training camp next year to change the coach's mind? I think his playing style works in his in his benefit, to be honest, in this, because he's very tenacious. He's a great forechecker. He's fast. Um, great forechecers tend to be good backtrackers as well because they get on the puck. You just have to kind of change the mindset there you got to do it both ways um so he can fill that vo- that role very easily obviously he's not going to be playing with pd and uh, and those guys instead so you got to make a little bit more happen to yourself but all of a sudden um the puck will also be on your stick a little bit more you'll see a little bit weaker um opposition as well so it, it's not a terrible spot to to be in him um a lot of guys who, who cycle through that fourth line, uh, myself, Burroughs, uh, you, you kind of go from there, you learn to play the game, and then you work your way up to the lineup and, and you get these opportunities. Um, so, so it's not a bad spot if you take it with the right mindset. That it, It's not a demotion in any way. No, we have internal composition. And again, this is the role we need you to fill. Learn to play the defensive side of the game. Learn to pill, kill penalties. And then three years from now, when you're 24, 25, you're entering your prime. You're one hell of a hockey player, and, and you can fill any role on any team. And, and you're the type of player that everybody wants around the league instead of a one-dimensional player. But again, you, you need the mindset. Um, as for working for in the off season, he, he just needs to be in the gym, needs to be on the ice. Uh, uh, again, not take anything for granted, not to say, oh, I got a fourth line spot for myself here, and that's pretty secure because I should be higher in the lineup, so I'll just play here. No, go out and, and push those guys and make somebody else be that fourth line player, if you will. How how important is the off season? Just the, the give us the player's perspective on on how the off season helps when, especially when you're young in your career, to to get you ready for the next season and also help you get better and how you learn to execute the off season better as you get older. The off season is a bit different between being an NHL player and not being one. Uh, it's pretty simple. If you don't put in the work, you're not going to be in the NHL the next year. Um, and I've had had years where I've had phenomenal off seasons, training wise, skating wise, uh, and you come back and. You're a step ahead of the the rest uh, in sense of, of where you feel. And then you've had off seasons where you've been injured. You haven't been able to what you've been doing. You've been dialing down your conditioning, your strengthening. Um, as you get older, you can't lift as heavy. You're not as strong. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy, where did these guys come from? And now I'm getting pushed off. And my first step is not as explosive. So everything is in the off season. Everything that, that is going to work out for you through the entire season happens there. Um, so yeah, you need your rest. You need your to get away from everything. And most guys take two, four, five weeks off, depending on when you're done. And then you're at it six times a week for for about two hours a day. Um, so it is everything uh, when when it comes to preparing yourself to be ready to to be an NHL player. 
Well, and you know, one of the guys that you know we know based on what the players said about his maturity and how hard he works is Vasily Podkolzin, and now all of a sudden, you know, he has uh, two other countrymen on the team, Mikheyev and also Kuzmenko that the, that the team brought over. How how valuable do you think that can be for him? You know, a guy that's as young as he is, and yeah, he played here last year and got along with the guys, but being able to have a couple of players that he can connect with in Russia and you know that can really help him along, like how valuable do you think that can be for Podkolzin? Yeah, it's two pronged. Obviously, it, it makes it easier to to get a guy in. So, it's like Mikhail, oh, we we have two Russians here. I'll, I'll come as well because um, you have that familiarity. As long as it doesn't turn into these cliques um, that, that you often hear about, where okay, now we can speak Russians, uh, Russian with each other. We don't have to worry about the English. So, it, it's something you you gotta be mindful of uh, in the dressing room. I mean, the the twins were a perfect example of that. We had four, five, six Swedish players on the team uh, pretty much the entire time I was there. Um, and it was uh, an unwritten rule that if anybody else was around, um, they spoke English. Uh, at the, the breakfast table, in the lounge, watching games, whatever, they were sitting three Swedes, somebody else sat down next to them, boop, they switched over to English. So it, it gets you that team feel, and it's not like you're hearing all these languages across the, the dressing room. Nobody really knows what we're talking about, what's going on. Um, so it's great for them um, in the sense of security, coming to a new city, uh, getting set up, you're on the road, go out for dinner with your friends, families, all these things. Um, it makes life easier. There's no question about that. Um, in the dressing room, you still got to gotta be, be careful of and make sure that, that again, uh, you're involving everybody and, and it doesn't turn into these, oh, we're, we're Swedish here, we speak Swedish here, we speak Russian here, and then we have a couple of French guys and they speak French and then there's the, then there's the English group. That can kind of, uh, it can rock a dressing room a little bit. So again, as long as you're, you're mindful of that, uh, there should be no problem. It should only be a, be a plus that, that you have guys from, from the same vicinity or same countries. Yannick Hansen, our guest. So the, the club... I mean, they, they've been saying it for months, whether uh, you know we want to hear it or not, but uh, they, they're they going to try and keep exploring every option to keep JT Miller. Jim Rutherford said it on our show earlier this week, and he said it again today, that they, the, the deadline isn't really until they get close to the trade deadline of next year for them to start worrying about JT Miller's contract status. Is, is that how you see it, or would you be a little bit squeamish taking JT Miller and uh, the unknown into training camp and into next season with him uh, still unsigned or unresolved. Yeah, unresolved is is the question here because because obviously if you get it done, there's there's no issues. Um, but yeah, any type of of down season or or not performing up to par or or Vancouver being in that middle of the pack hunting a playoff spot is going to leave you in a terrible spot come uh, come deadline because everybody know you got to move this guy now everybody's got to know that you've had these opportunities. So the, the, the price, uh, uh, again, you don't know what happens. He could come out and have the same season. But if he does, kudos to him. But but the season he had last year was, was borderline uh, phenomenal. Um, so, so, again, the, the, the value is what worries me here, what happens if it doesn't replicate itself. Um, it's a lot of unknowns. Um, and you can go into the season no problem with unknowns. Um, but but this is uh, this is your key cog that that's an unknown which uh, it messes with uh, not only the team's uh, kind of feel uh, guys' head obviously JT is going to be in it too um, every game they go out there how are we performing as a team myself um, uh, he's looking at uh, at that 
security as well going forward. He's he's not a young player anymore. Um, so that there's a lot of lot of questions uh, floating around that that won't get answered until uh, we see some sort sort of, of result. And again, earlier I would prefer. Well, and how destabilizing could that be for the team? Let's say they were actually a good team next season. You're winning. You're clearly entrenched in a playoff spot, and then you have that hanging over the team. Like, can that be really unsettling? Especially if the team feels like they have to trade him despite being on a pretty good run. Yeah, that's the thing. What do you do if you end up in that situation? Um, yeah. Did you let them let them go with it and then just uh, have him walk like uh, like Goudreau did, did to Calgary right now, which is obviously a terrible situation. Um, but but that's what you're staring down. Um, and again, then then we're going back to yeah. Did you have win a playoff round or two? Um, but but where is the assets coming back that should help us win a Stanley Cup two or three years from now or four years from now? Because um, I'm assuming that is the goal. It, it's not just being competitive and getting some some playoff revenue. No, the 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 end goal here should be to to win a Stanley Cup. Can you win a Stanley Cup with JT Miller? Of course, every team would love to have him. Um, he he'd fill a role like uh, Nassim Kadri, uh, Braden Point behind those those guys in most cases. And those are the types of players on on phenomenal deals that allow you to add pieces around. Um, but again, if you're not right there, if you're not the team that are trying to win it, um, then uh, you might be better off uh, biting the bullet and, and weakening your team uh, a tad here and there in order to come back a little bit stronger, uh, a little bit further down the road. Uh, Yannick, before we let you go, uh, the, the Canucks uh, young players at Dev Camp, they did the, the grouse grind today. Uh, what was your best time in the grind? Uh, mid forties, mid forties when we came over one summer. I'd like to think I can do it faster now, but I have not done it in a while. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what do you got planned for the summer? Oh, we got a bunch of stuff. Uh, travel has opened up, so we've already had uh, two sets of relatives rolling through. We got another one coming. We're going on a holiday here, here short, uh, going out to to Hawaii, let the little one see the islands for the first time. So it's uh, busy, busy, busy. That sounds like an awesome time. Yannick, uh, we really appreciate your time and all your insights through the course of the season. Have an awesome summer. Thank you. Sounds good. And you guys as well. There is uh, Yannick Hansen. Mid-40s on the grouse grind. Not bad. I'm not only bad. about like 20 minutes behind. I'm okay. No, not bad. Not bad. I was going to... Okay, I won't say anything. <laughs> I got a short stride, Sat. What do you want from me? Uh, hey, listen, I haven't done the grind in, in, a, in a couple of years, but uh, my best time was sub-40. Okay, here we go. So I'm just saying. I mean, hey, listen, Yannick Hansen, obviously hockey hockey players that you know they're Humble packing brag. a lot of muscle yeah. to go up to go up to, <laughs> and you know, obviously, if you got bigger trunks and a lot of muscle, that you know starts um, starts getting filled with lactic acid, it makes it a bit harder to get up. Okay, you know? well, so, what, so what is it. with the science experiment that we're doing? lactic acid and all this? I'm stuff? just saying. I'm just saying. First, like, it was I'm, the the, I'm just the, the moon muscular... and the telescope <laughs> earlier this week. Now we're talking about lactic acid. What's happening? The, the, did you see the super moon, by the way, the other day? <laughs> yeah. It, it looked great. It was it great. It great. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, all right. <laughs> Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We're going to have to have a segment like Science with Sat for... <laughs> I'm down. It'll be fun. Uh, it could be fun. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll workshop that over the course of the summer. Uh, Dan- I bet you now, though, if I did the grind, it'd probably be like, you know, 50 minutes. I haven't yeah. done it in like a couple of years. I, uh, I think I could do under an hour now. Maybe. All right. Let's do it. Might have to. Josh, have you ever done the grind? No, I always live too oh, far. Man. I would do stuff in Chilliwack, but I'm pretty confident like 
and uh, a quick thirty-five minutes is what I would finish up. <laughs> ben Ben Turn lives in North Van, so he does the grind like every other day. I can do it under an hour. Under an nice. hour, okay. But I'm not touching the sedines. No, they're going to be running ahead of me. You're not. You're not going sub forty like that like over here. Fifty minutes would be very reasonable. Yeah, yeah, fifty is good. If you can break and fifty, it's good. Yeah. That's pretty. Like if you good. get to forty-five, that's fantastic. But the lactic acid—it's <laughs> tough, man. <laughs> Once tough, it the more up. Mus- the more muscle you have going up um, the grouse grind, the harder it gets. Like okay. it just—that's that's what happens. Yeah, that's 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 things, my right? excuse for sure. So I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> you're great, Josh. Maybe, maybe I'm pushing thirty. Yeah, you're built like a like a long distance runner. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. What is the record? Do you, do you guys know what the record is? I don't yeah, know. it's like twenty something. It's like twenty eight minutes or something. Something oh ridiculous. My God. It's wow. insane. There's some dude who like ran up, ran it up. And the biggest mistake people make with the grind is running up the first bit. Yeah. Like you're gonna be gas. Like just walk, man. Trust me. <laughs> you, you run the first bit, you're done. Those are people that never like they get stuck. I love those. Like, the, there's that one day in the summer where people do it as many times as they can, and they do like yeah. fifteen or sixteen times in a day. Like, please oh, stop. <laughs> anyway, doing here. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's uh, let's get to Mike DeFabo, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins writer. He's going to join us next. What's going on with the Penguins, and are they dabbling in the trade market soon enough? We'll get to that on Canuck Central. Let's just green goddess. Canuck Central Hour 2 brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. If you missed Hour 1 of the program, we went into what a JT Miller extension would look like and how the Canucks could navigate that with their already crowded salary cap picture and how the defense factors into all of that because that is the area the Canucks have publicly stated they want to improve but have yet to do so. So check back on hour one of the program if you missed that conversation. Also Yannick Hansen, his final hit of the year here on Canucks Central. That is still the the goal of this team though, Sat. How do we fix the defense? It's not like they're hiding from it. They know they want to fix it. They just didn't really see too many avenues yet that they've really liked so far no it's just because a lot of stuff is locked in and when your defense is locked in the way the Canucks blue line is it makes it very difficult to move guys out and the guy you could move today and get something for is Luke Shen but he's so valuable to the team with the salary he has the physicality he brings and the most important thing providing you some safe cover to be a steady partner for Quinn Hughes so that's not a guy you're looking to move. So you look at Myers, a lot of money owed to him this year and next year. You have to wait a year for that to become flexible. OEL's not going anywhere. You're not touching Hughes. Pullman's been hurt. He's got term left. You, you gotta have to. You just have to wait it out a bit on the back end. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is uh, Mike DeFabo, covering the Pittsburgh Penguins for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Mike, I, I got to ask you, do you get Canucks fans in your mentions being like, announce John Marino, traded to the Canucks? Because like, that's, that's what's been happening to us for like the last four months. See, I get it just the other way around where Penguins fans are like, when's J.T. Miller coming to the Penguins? When's going to happen? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so absolutely. It, it sure seems like everybody's trying to connect those dots. It, it feels like the, the Penguins and Canucks have been married as trade partners by everyone except uh, Patrick Alvine and, and Ron Hextall right now. But it, it does feel clear that the Penguins are trying to do something in the trade market. It feels like I, I look at their, their roster and their picture, and they just they have to do something on defense. Absolutely. So going into free agency, 
Most people expected the Penguins would be shopping for a forward, but instead they surprised a lot of people when they went out and they got Jan Ruda, who's a right-shot defenseman who won uh, back-to-back cups with Tampa. And so right now the Penguins have nine NHL defensemen on their roster. And Ron Hextall, who is not very transparent, said very clearly that they're not going to start the season with nine. So he said it's a fair assumption that a trade is on the table. So there, there's two very likely candidates. The first one is Marcus Pedersen. He's a left-shot defenseman who makes more than $4 million. The reason why that one makes sense is because he's not lived up to his salary, his, you know, his salary cap hit right now. And of the Penguins, in a, in a thin prospect pool for the Penguins, the most NHL-ready prospect is Pierre-Olivier Joseph. Um, he's a left-shot guy. So not only would the Penguins create some much-needed salary cap space, it also open the door for P.O. Joseph to play. The other one, uh, and I'm sure the reason why you wanted to have me on the show, is John Marino. And um, I know that near the trade deadline, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin were interested in John Marino. I don't think that the Penguins were necessarily interested at that time in dealing him. But he would be another guy that would make sense, considering the Penguins did bring in a right-shot guy. Uh, he's, he's a guy that I think people, you know, Jim Rutherford, when he signed him, to this contract that carries a $4.4 million uh, salary cap hit, he was telling us, uh, reporters in Pittsburgh, he felt John Marino had the potential to one day be a top-pairing defenseman. Marino hasn't necessarily taken those steps forward, but he's definitely a guy that uh, it would be a hockey trade where, where you know, some team sees him as a, a legitimate top-four guy, and, um, and because of that, the Penguins should want some kind of legitimate compensation in return. Yeah, and you know the question though really does come down to what is evaluation for those types of players. I mean, I know I know Patterson seems to be a bit of a softer market on, but for John Marino, does it seem like the interest isn't what they wanted it to be on him, or do you think that they could easily move him if they wanted to today? Yeah, I mean, I think they could move him. I think that uh, maybe they're just waiting to see what kind of a return they could get. So the whole thing with Marino is uh, he was a former sixth round pick. He went to Harvard. And, um, you know, kind of av- av- overshadowed by, by Adam Fox. And Jim Rutherford basically just spent a six-round pick to get him. And as soon as he came in, he really wowed people with his composure, with his mobility. And immediately Jim Rutherford was like, let me lock this guy down. The, the, the knock on him is that he hasn't necessarily taken that step forward offensively. And um, when he's tried to take that step forward, it's almost like he's trying to do a little bit too much with the puck uh, and losing that steady dimension to his game that was so important. So he's still really young, and defensemen in this league, this is an extremely difficult position to play. I still think that he has the potential to be you know, a very good defenseman, but whether he's going to be a true, legitimate, top-pairing guy who can quarterback your power play I'm not sure if that's really within the cards for him going forward, but I mean, he, he's still young and he still has a lot of evolution ahead of him. It's uh, it's an interesting uh, situation because we look at this; they're a little bit over the cap right now, and still, Kasperi Kapanen is uh, is a restricted free agent. What's happening there? Yeah, absolutely. He he was another guy that um, Jim Rutherford thought highly of. He drafted him back in 2014, and then he reacquired him a couple seasons ago giving up a package that included a first-round pick. And um, at that time, Jim Rutherford's stated goal was he wanted to get younger, faster, harder to play against. It seemed like Kapanen fit a lot of the, that criteria, especially the faster part. Uh, I mean, he, he his skating is, when he's really moving his feet, uh, he has to be one of the faster players in the league. 
But uh, last year was a really, really difficult year for him. Uh, I mean, he was supposed to be uh, Evgeny Malkin's winger, and there were times when he slid all the way to the fourth line. There were two separate instances when he was a healthy scratch. So uh, he made $3.2 million last season, and he's arbitration eligible. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see where his dollar figure lands. I, I would think that he would want some kind of a short-term contract to recoup some value and then maybe test free agency next year. Um, you know, I imagine he's somewhere between the two to three million dollar range, probably closer to the the, the two million dollar range than three. Um, but you know, he he's got to produce for the Penguins. Uh, I mean, he he's he's a guy that in Pittsburgh, I feel like we spend like half of our time talking about Kasperi Kapanen because he's such an enigma, and um, you know, he, he seems to have all of the physical gifts, but and puts together two three games in a row where he's impressive. And then he'll just go these long stretches where he's invisible. And um, so kind of finding that consistency to his game is, is going to be really important. And, and for all those reasons that he's been so up and down, I think it's going to be really difficult to figure out what exactly his value is when you when it either comes to an arbitration hearing or when it comes time to sit down at the negotiating table. Well, yeah, because there's so many things about his game that, that you like, but it comes down to the whole toolbox, toolbox thing, I, I guess, to some degree for Kapanen and also being a bit more uh, productive. But one of the things I found interesting was there was so much talk about from Brian Burke and, you know, from, from Hextall about how they need to clear their cap situation up and all those sort of things. And, you know, yeah, they fit everybody back in under the cap, of course, bringing Russ back, bringing Raquel back, Malkin and, and Latang. But what they ended up doing was locking into guys into their late 30s. Ricard Raquel, long-term deal. Brian Russ, six-year deal. Malkin, four-year deal. Latang, six-year deal. Was this? Uh, were you surprised at all that they ended up locking in term, considering it seemed like they wanted to clean that up a little bit this offseason? Yeah, I know that the Penguins, um, one of the things when Ron Hexton and Brian Burke inherited the team, they one of the things that they didn't like was there are a, several questionable contracts on the Penguins payroll. Uh, you know, Jason Zucker is a guy who makes five point five million dollars, and two years ago, by his own admission, he said he was quote unquote awful, and he was worse last year than that. So, I mean, he he just his his production did not meet his salary cap hit. Uh, Marcus Pedersen's another guy. So, you know, I, I thought that they would be really cap conscious and. It seems the approach that they took was they were trying to, I guess, get these guys for low cap hits, but in doing so, they had to give them term. So, like, the the two big names that people were talking about here in Pittsburgh, and obviously probably elsewhere as well, Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin. And even days before free agency opened, there was questions about whether they would sign those guys. So the Penguins initially kind of anchored the negotiations, and they said, we want to give you two to three years and you guys both are going to have to take a pay cut. Well, the Penguins eventually got one side of those that. So Guinea Malkin, who made 9.5, they got him to take a massive pay cut down to $6.1 million. Chris Letang, who made uh, 7.25, he took 6.1, even though I think he could have probably even gotten a raise on the open market. But in doing so, they had to give Letang six years and Malkin four. And Latang, I'm not so as worried about because he's known as this fitness freak, this workout warrior, uh, who, who, you know, his workouts are stuff of legend, and he he shows no signs of slowing down. Guinea Malkin, on the other hand, he's set to turn 36 here on July 31st, and uh, if you watched him last season, he was still a wizard on the power play, still really good in stagnant situations, 
but his skating legs were absolutely not there. Um, you know, if you look at stats from like, um, you know, like natural stat trick, some of the rush chances, Malkin was a third as dangerous as he was in the two previous seasons in transition in terms of creating opportunities. And, and that matches the eye test. And so, you know, you wonder how gracefully will his game age? Um, is it a situation where, you know, he had this big knee surgery just one year ago that robbed him of some of his offseason training with the benefit of a full offseason? Does he look more like the old Gino? Or after two significant knee injuries and now 36 years old, are his skating legs just going at this point? And, and is this the player you're going to get? That's that's the, I guess, the gamble that the Penguins are taking here. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that is very creative, and when he's elite, he's exceptional. But I do wonder with a guy like Malkin how his game will age going forward. There was uh, so many questions about how Ron Hextall was going to navigate all this, and you know, I I uh, peeked in at at uh, Penguins Twitter for a bit and saw the knives were really out for Hextall <laughs> as the the Malkin thing was playing out. And how do you sign Jeff Carter and Raquel before you sign Malkin and all this stuff? But h- how do Penguins fans feel that essentially Hextall has come in and he's he's kept the whole band together when there was so much uncertainty with all the unrestricted free agents going into this summer? Yeah, so on on Monday, Evgeny Malkin's camp informed the Penguins that he planned to test free agency. And that's when, you know, Penguins Twitter really lit up because to, you know, Malkin's really a polarizing player to Penguins fans. And, um, but to the portion that really loves him, you know, there's, there's people that like Malkin more than they like Sidney Crosby in some ways. And they couldn't believe that a guy who is, you know, arguably top four top three player in franchise history, you know, they would, they would treat him the way that they did. You know, they, they really played hardball with Evgeny Malkin. Um, you know, they, there's a reason why things went all the way. They used the deadline to their advantage, you know, where, uh, you know, they would go periods of time where there'd be a, an offer on the table and they wouldn't move from it. Um, and they took it all the way down there to, to get him to do this. So, Absolutely. There, there's a, a segment of the fan base that wasn't too happy with, with the way that things were unfolding. Now, I think that once Malkin signed, uh, I mean, I, I personally think that Hextall must have been a great negotiator because, uh, you know, to get Malkin to take such a significant pay cut and to be able to keep everybody together, I thought was impossible. You know, when he gave Jeff Carter a raise um, and then, you know, with some of these other new contracts kicking in, um, you know, I, I didn't think he'd be able to keep everybody together, but to be able to keep Malkin, Latang, Crosby, I think satisfies the sentimental side of the fan base that wants to see those guys retire as Penguins, that wants to see Chris Latang and Evgeny Malkin play their thousandth game together uh, in Penguins uniforms this year. And then at the same time, you know, they were able to keep Raquel, which I think is, is significant because, um, you know, they gave up pretty decent compensation to get him, and they've had a lot of uh, holes in their middle si- six or in terms of wingers so to, to add a guy like that so now the question becomes if you bring the same team back what gives you confidence the results will be different because this is the same team that flamed out in the first round for four consecutive years so Ron Hexel is making the bet that they're going to have better health better goaltending and that their you know stars in their mid-30s are going to be able to produce at a high-end level uh, before we let you go do you believe the uh, Penguins have legitimate interest in in JT Miller or uh, the feeling I think from from our end uh, is we just don't see a package that would make sense for the Vancouver Canucks. 
Yeah, I think it, I think that fans would love to see it, but I don't know whether I don't know what it would take to to get him. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know how many more prospects or picks Ron Hexler would have to throw in to get a guy like like JT Miller, in addition to you know presumably John Marino. So I think it's fun to connect those dots, but I, I wonder if maybe the real trade that ends up unfolding is the Penguins, you know, dump Marcus Pedersen for a mid-round pick just to clear the salary cap space. But, uh, I mean, we'll see. It, I, I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibilities, but uh, if Ron Hextor can pull that off, that would be an A-plus offseason for him if he could somehow make it work. Uh, Mike, we appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, there is uh, Mike DeFabo covering the uh, Penguins for the Pittsburgh Post. Gazette. Um, Penguins are uh, right up against the cap, so um, you know the idea of being able to swing a deal with the Canucks, as we've talked about so much, whether it's Miller or Garland or Marino, as uh, coming back as a part of that uh, to Vancouver. Sat. It's just um, I just don't I don't know if the 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 rosters really match up as a potential trade partner with Pittsburgh. I just don't see it. You know, like it. They have some interesting players or whatever, but I don't see the futures that make a lot of sense for Vancouver. They need help on the back end, especially on the right side. I don't really see those prospects, even forward-wise, who really moves the needle for you. And Marino, I mean, I like Marino, but if he's a centerpiece in the JT trade and you have him locked in for a few years at 4.4, and he may or may not be an improvement on, J- on Tyler Myers, it starts adding up as a lot of questions. And I, I don't, if you're trading JT, I don't like to have a bunch of questions with money attached to it like I want some flexibility or 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 an assuredly really good young player you know like I'd rather take the futures and flexibility as opposed to a defenseman who is an upgrade on the defense but I'm not sure he's an upgrade enough for you to be making that swap it's uh Marino five more years at 4.4 million against the cap he is 25 years old so you'd uh Potentially be getting that player through his prime. Pittsburgh's most recent first-round pick uh, just uh, last week, Owen Pickering, left-shot D-man who's uh, recently had a growth spurt. Uh, interesting, but uh, ultimately still some question marks there. Obviously, he was taken towards uh, the back end of the first round. So, And you know their public statement has kind of been similar to uh, the Canucks. like They don't want to be giving up too many future assets because they've just been spending them. For, mm-hmm. for so long. So I wonder if Pittsburgh's ultimate appetite is is to do something like that. And also, yes, uh, like John Marino for JT Miller just doesn't really move the needle for me. I, I, I like John Marino, but not for a 99-point scorer in JT Miller. No, same. And, you know, you look at Pittsburgh's team, their forward group is pretty solid. I mean, they got to sign Kapanen now, and, you know, a defenseman has to go out, and they have to kind of make the numbers work still. But, you know, their team... Based on what they look like to start next last season, because they added Ricard Raquel, he'll be there all year too. Like, I think their team is pretty solid overall. It's just, are, do you are you one piece away from really, really contending with those other teams? Because I thought they were a, they were a sneaky good team this year, and then the Crosby injury happened. So, I don't think they're that far off, to be honest with you, Dan. Like, if they clean things up a little bit, like that's a team, especially running it all back again, uh, they can be they can do something in the East. Yeah, the Crosby injury, and of course uh, Tristan Jari injured in the, the, yeah. that first round as well. They had to play Louis Domingue. They went all the way down to their third string goalie to play through the first round of the playoffs, and ultimately. Uh, coughed up a 3-1 series lead to the New York Rangers. Um, as as much as we've been, uh, you know, wondering if there's a trade fit there for months, 
Um, and clearly there's been some level of discussion. It's been reported on a few occasions, even Elliot Friedman uh, the last couple of days saying it once again, but it just doesn't seem like they've gone all that far, even if there have been some discussions. You know, it's it's like earth to everybody. It's, it's hard to acquire young right shot D in the league, yeah. right? And, you know, it's also hard to acquire 100-point scorers in the league. That's why the Canucks have held a firm line on JT Miller. They also would like to keep JT Miller as they've stated and we've talked about for so long. There has to be a big time deal, something that really knocks your socks off in order to make that happen. And as of right now, none of those things have become apparent. So no, here we are. Yeah, a hundred percent. And the other thing too to keep in mind is if Vancouver's looking to do anything, even, you know, because I saw people mentioning, whoa, do they move maybe Garland for a defenseman? It's like, you can do that, but then now all of a sudden you have nine defensemen signed. Yeah, who are you moving out if that's what you're doing? You know what I mean? Like, even if you do that, there, there has to be something that, that has to go on the back end at some point. So that's what complicates matters as far as the defense goes in terms of making significant improvements. But the team's still working on it, and we'll kind of see what happens in the next few weeks here. It's kind of funny, though. Pittsburgh, like... uh Essentially, just running it back. (laughs) New front office? Nope, we're just running it back. Except, you know, this, you know, at least uh, the meat of this core does have three Stanley Cups on it. So, a little little bit different in that sense. Uh, (laughs) Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. We've got a ton of questions for the mailbag. Always appreciate the mailbag questions coming in. And this is kind of, well, it is the last mailbag session for Canuck Central before uh, we break. For the summer, there will be one uh, next Friday, but uh, Sat won't be a part of it. So for myself and Sat together, the final mailbag session of the season is next here on Sportsnet 650.